0: Hello, and welcome to Making the Rounds, a podcast by the American Medical Association. Today's episode is part of our Health IT series from the AMA MSS Committee on Health Information Technology. My name is Matthew Swanson, and I'm a medical student at the Frank H. Netter MD School of Medicine, and I'll be your host for today. Today, we're joined by Dr. Nitesh Chawla, the Frank M. Freeman Professor of
1: Computer Science and
0: Engineering at the University of Notre Dame. Thanks for being with us, Dr. Chawla.
1: Thank you Matthew, and and pleasure to be here and have this conversation with uh, uh, that unfolds today. Great. Sounds good. To kick things off
0: I wanted to to ask you how are you involved in the health IT space and uh, what are you currently working
1: on? Sure. So I think so my my love for health IT space uh, sort of began almost 2007 2008 and the and and the, the reason was I was in a meeting and I saw a at how at Harvard School of Medicine, and there was this presentation about this data about Medicare and things, and and how disease prognosis and everything else was into play. And I had this idea that led to discussions, collaborations, and ideas about, hey, what if we could develop um, a similar thing as a recommendation system that Amazon or Netflix has, where Amazon says welcome, Nitesh, these are the books you have read, these are the books you would like to read, or or Netflix says, welcome, Nitesh, these are the movies you have seen, these are the movies you would like to see. Imagine a disease.com that says, welcome, Nitesh, these are the diseases you have had, these are the diseases you would like uh, to have. Or, of course, we wouldn't recommend diseases, but the idea is, if 60 to 80% of our factors are lifestyle environmentally driven, we share similarities with each other, Our, our, our tastes, our beliefs, our uh, our habits, our, our behaviors, our environment, our physical environment. So there are these similarities. Can we leverage that to identify what might be disease risks that I may develop? So make it more of that patient-centered approach. And which was wonderfully happened to be aligned at that time with the Affordable Care Act changes that were happening, which was moving to more from disease-centered to the patient-centered approaches and things like that. So that's where my work in healthcare IT actually began, maybe about 12, 13 years ago. And uh, since then, it's became a mainstay of my research program portfolio, maybe are developing algorithms, methods, systems, testing them on the, uh, and tran- doing the last mile translation to uh, uh, to local communities, et cetera, and see what the response might be.
0: Yeah, well, thanks for, uh, thanks for introducing it. and. Um... You know, just uh, making a more patient-centered approach to medicine, I think, you know, is substantial impact in and of itself. But I wanna ask you, uh, what do you see as the impact of of your work? And uh, also, because this is directed towards a lot of students, um, have you experienced any challenges in your pursuits?
1: I think the big, there's two aspects of challenges. One is, as we think about researchers as computer scientists or machine learning data scientists, or even School of Medicine, or other medical informatics people, First, of course, is access to data. How do we ensure we have the access to data under the right IRB, human subjects, and data use agreements, and the whole nine yards? So that's always a challenge to surmount because you're not a data creator. You're a data user. So how do we develop those partnerships, those agreements? How do you develop research protocols and things like that? So I believe those are essential aspects of a training. Those partnerships are an essential aspect of a training. Opening your mind. For interdisciplinary thinking, we're understanding what is the problem I'm trying to solve versus I want to develop the best IT whiz-bang I can or the best algorithm I can. And the problem is solved for itself now. We have to shift our thinking towards being more problem solvers and then inspiring solutions based on that use versus going, I have a solution, which problem it works, and I'll do a checklist manifesto on that. So that's the key thinking as students we have to do. And the second challenge that I believe was uh, something that uh, was critical is when we think about healthcare, uh, whether it's patient-centered healthcare, IT research, or medical informatics research, or whatever it might be, this phases to it. One is you, know, you, you identify a problem, you form an idea, you develop a solution, you validate your solution or your hypotheses, you write a research paper, and we celebrate then there's something else. How do we take that finding and actually translate it for clinical translational or, or, or to a community? How do we make difference to one life with that innovation? That is a challenge because what we think works has other set of challenges when we actually try to translate or deploy it in the real world. So what we have done is almost every research project that we have undertaken, we have worked with uh, a uh, 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 um, successful aging, independent living facilities, uh, age, aging facilities. Uh, uh, we have worked in early childhood development, but not for profits that are focused on childhood obesity, et cetera, it, and in developing worlds, or so emerging economies, Brazil and, and Mexico. And what we are finding is that healthcare is very complex, uh, that I see my physician maybe once a week, once a year, I'm living my life the rest of the years, rest of the days. And I have other complexities in my life that happen, that there's a human story to it, there's a human narrative to it that informs my well-being. If I don't know that context, it's not just giving that precise medicine to me. If you give me an antibiotic that requires refrigeration but I can't afford it, what's the point of the perfect antibiotic if I can't afford to keep it in a working state after 24 hours? Those are, I feel, key challenges. How do we bring context into the IT space? How do we bring context into the physician room? How do we bring context into interacting? Because then when I'm talking to someone about a change, changing human behavior is the most complex thing. But if I contextualize that change, it's more meaningful. So those those are, in my opinion, exciting and big challenges.
0: Yeah, no, thanks for, uh, for explaining that a little bit further too. Uh, It's not something that you, uh, we really learn in the curriculum of medical school and, uh, you know, appreciating some of the subtleties and uh, thinking about things a little bit more creatively, also more eloquently. I think that's a, you know, pretty exciting way to, uh, to, to provide care to, to patients moving forward. And uh, it's, it's clear that, this work is going to be very substantial in the lives of many. Um, you know, I, I, I wanna ask, uh, especially now, how has, uh, has COVID impacted your work?
1: Um, the way COVID has, imp- there's one way COVID has impacted our research work is two ways, I guess. One, it led us to think about pandemic as a data-driven approach. What does it mean? What does evidence mean? What do we what, There's a role of science and medicine. There's a role of society how these three things have to come together to have a meaningful defense against COVID-19 or any pandemic. Right? It's not just waiting for the right vaccine. It's not just waiting for the right medicine to help us, you know, cure cure us better. How does we, How do we as a society respond to it? Whether it's, uh, you know, the behaviors that we need to change and adapt to. All of these things have to come together. So I think the pandemic is clearly showing that healthcare is not just domain of medicine. Public health experts may sometimes disagree with some of the things, or epidemiologists may think differently, social scientists may think differently. What are the challenges, the economic challenges that come forth? It's a collective that has to come together because our health is in a uh, socio-ecological model. It's not just a disease and that's where I believe the shift to a person is so much more important from a disease as well, in my opinion, right? Of course, these fighting diseases, curing diseases is paramount, essential. No, no, no doubt about that. But not losing the sight on the person and the community and the family and the policy uh, and, and everything and the communication that we do. So that's sort of so in my lab, we actually have done quite a bit of a research as a result of that at that intersection so that was one thing the other thing was the way we thought it was a negative verse a lot of some of the research involves us working with communities in mexico or, or brazil or etc we couldn't visit with them we couldn't do fields we couldn't go out to the field uh, some of the organizations not for profits we were working with they couldn't go engage with the families etc right so i think so there was so the gap that they were already facing with these underserved communities that gap only increased because a layer of service to them was to the social workers, community health workers enabled by technology, but they couldn't. So now it's inspired us to think about can technology overcome that gap going forward, right? What can we do as AI technology researchers to fill that gap in case the pandemic were to happen again? And even uh, let's assume that it will, something will, right? Um, will happen again. So so that so that's how COVID has affected the research, there's goods and bads, uh, but uh, uh, it's about how we look at the challenges and how do we overcome them going forward. Definitely.
0: Um, Dr. Chala, from your vantage point, uh, what would you, there's been a lot of changes in the health information technology uh, space from COVID. What do you think is going to uh, to stick around?
1: I think one of the most positive things was telehealth, and I think that's going to stick around. Uh, I believe that telehealth is here to stay. We make it more cost-effective. We make it more personalized. We figure out ways of uh, quantifying an individual virtually, whether it's through, uh, you know, oximeters, which are more omnipresent now than ever before, right? Or uh, the, the physiological signals to wearable devices and things like that, uh, or other mechanisms where at home testing if i can do a swab and send it right i can do a saliva test and send it at home care i think will scale which will eventually i'm hoping has cost effectiveness associated with it if not already that i believe is is absolutely uh here to stay from uh, a
0: Oh, that's great! Yeah, telehealth. I know that it's been uh, it's been difficult to adapt, but now people are starting to get a little as bit more I'm used to it. And
1: as I understand, Medicare or Medicaid wouldn't approve telehealth until until pre-COVID and post-COVID, all the exceptions were made. Now we're realizing it's yes, sir working out well. It yes. can be a mechanism to reach out to a broader population. It can be a mechanism to someone who can't take a day off work to go to a clinic can actually not have an appointment on the phone while at work or at home or while caring for a child. It just creates and offers more ways of that engagement. So we have to think of it as not just as a mechanism of direct engagement and and reducing barriers to access as well. Uh, Now, of course, we have to make sure that Wi-Fi and connectivity and internet at home and the community should be there, but uh, there are mechanisms to do it. Uh, so I'm hoping that this stays, and as discussed, Matthew, as the School of Medicine, as a new age physicians that are coming out, become champions of it, right? become innovators in this space.
0: Definitely, definitely. Um, so we've touched around uh, what I think the future of medicine may look like with artificial intelligence and health information technology. Just to talk about this more directly, what do you think medicine and health information technology is going to look like in 10 to 15 years when I'm practicing?
1: Ah, that's a good question. I haven't reflected on that as deep. Uh, ten to fifteen years, uh, the, the challenge is that we can talk about ten to fifteen. Ten years ago, at this point, we we thought that the we would have figured out how to modify human behavior and we'll be on this wellness journey. That didn't quite happen. Right. Twenty years ago, we t- talked about how personalized, precision medicine and genome would be. We all will be walking with something in our back pocket that will give us precise medicine for exactly what we have we're not quite there yet. So I'm a bit wary about projecting into the future because uh, sometimes we need a shock-like a uh, pandemic to accelerate that progress. Who would have thought vaccines could be developed? What a, what a wonderful scientific discovery in the record time that we have done, right? There's no history to it. So, um, so I'm wary of making that projection having said that uh, because you're asking me to speculate. So, hey, I would speculate. Uh, if I were to speculate here, what I would, imagine is that we would get the quantified self movement would reach a cost point where it would be more available and, and by quantified self, I mean, is our physiological signals and things and that where we would be able to identify precursors of our resilience, our physiological reserve, our, our, our physical reserve capacity, our, our, our early warning indicators, et cetera. There'll be a mechanism of doing that and sort of creating alerts that go to a team of medical personals from nurses to the physicians and, and then telehealth will allow us to assess and address far-reaching chronic conditions and even development of these chronic conditions earlier on through AI, which is basically monitoring these things and, 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 and assessing, I'm assuming that we have the infrastructure, the privacy, the security, all of that is in place. So I think that's one thing where virtual Telehealth, almost like a, um, a, that would be that, right? That we would sort of have that immersive experience at home with our physicians um, overall. And I think it requires a physician in my view somebody from the medicine domain, working with an uh, AI IT person to start imagining that feature and execute. It's not just one or the other. I think they both have to co coexist. And then the other things that we are seeing is that how surgeries and imaging has, have advanced. Right? That how AI deep learning algorithms are able to now scan chest x-rays and identify COVID lesions. So that's another thing that would happen is that how we you know, uh, uh, go from there, how that could be accelerated, where scanning of results and availability of the results could be done at much faster scale. We may find ourselves with imaging devices that could be done that could be more portable right, where an expert could do it at the, uh, and then get results faster. So those are the kinds of things that I feel are uh, the, the IoT devices, and it would be very much data centered, and the ability of human to provide the data to the algorithms, which can then assess, model, analyze, and make it available to the physician to go, yay, nay, good, I need to talk, get this person to the hospital sooner than later. We need to meet in person. So this becomes, the algorithm becomes your triage center. Yeah. The AI algorithm becomes your triage center. And then of course, on the imaging side and all of that. And then the other aspect I see is the, which is a new law, which is being passed as well, about you know the patients having access to their care notes. How do we use that for patient empowerment, for affecting behavior changes? And I don't think we have solved that, Yet, despite all the investment we have made, uh, etc. But to get all there, we have to first resolve the big challenges of interoperability of these EMR systems, having them talk to each other and all the data to flow, data agreements. Let's assume all of that is done. This is where we could go.
0: Yeah, sounds uh, sounds really exciting. Just that last point, um, you know, trying to create uh, channels for these different EHRs to talk together. I know I don't speak for uh, just myself and saying that I can't wait for at least to realize that future, which uh, <laughs> hopefully isn't too far off. Yeah. Um, Dr. Chala, really, uh, we thank you for talking with us today. I want to uh, offer up, um, you know, a chance for the medical students that may be listening to to contact you or to see what type of research you're working on. Do you have any channels where people can can follow what you're doing?
1: Absolutely. So, hey, there's a couple of things. First, thank you, uh, Matthew, Chris, and Alex for for doing this. I congratulate, I applaud all of you for for taking this initiative. This is uh, innovation and leadership. So congratulations uh, for that. Uh, And second, yes, email me. I'm also the director of this institute, Lucy Family Institute for Data and Society. It's just very new, recently launched. Uh, And the name Data and Society, as it suggests, is what's very close to my heart is. How do we think of data-driven innovations that advance the common good, that reach the underserved, that that reduce disparities, that make a social impact? It's not just about algorithms and technology all day long. Innovation is about people, then about technology. So how do we do that? So that's the mantra I firmly believe in. So uh, check out that website. Uh, uh, I'm not a heavy Twitter user, what have you, but you can follow me and when I tweet, I do but we would be creating more social media outlets and web presence through the Lucy family uh, institute website as well but until then email me and uh, i'm happy to to talk to you answer questions as uh, as they may arise and and all the very best
0: well everyone that's all for today thank you for listening and thank you for your time today dr chalo this has been making the rounds a podcast by the american medical association you can subscribe to Making the Rounds and other great AMA podcasts wherever you listen to yours, or visit ama-assn.org podcasts. Thank you for listening.